0: It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans,
1: after all, it's only pressure, you got this,
0: Adidas. Gamble on, fellas, gamble on. (laughs)
1: Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, USBets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And you remember how Sports Illustrated used to do a little blurb every issue, this week's sign of the apocalypse? Uh, yes. Well, I don't know if this is a sign of the apocalypse, but it's at least a sign that we are living in mind-blowingly strange times. Larry Flint's Hustler Club, a noted Las Vegas strip club, will become a pop-up COVID vaccination site this Friday, encouraging people to come get their shots and get a free Hustler Club platinum membership if vaccinated. Uh, The pop-up jokes at a strip club write themselves pretty much. Uh, John, do you expect that a lot of people in Vegas have been waiting for just the right offer to get a vaccine and this is it and there will be a big rush at the Hustler pop-up site tomorrow?
0: <laughs> yeah, now I think you get a hundred bucks in West Virginia, you get a chance at a million bucks in Ohio. And I know in New Jersey, of you your choice, of free access to New Jersey's 51 state parks, a free glass of wine at participating New Jersey wineries, or a chance for dinner with Governor Murphy and First Lady Tammy Murphy. Now, the jokes on the last one also write themselves for any politician, but <laughs> uh, but if you win, you can have the dinner at Drum Thwacket, which is the wonderfully named governor's mansion in Princeton. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been there. Uh, twice thanks to a couple of governors uh and that one's worth it so keep that in mind and if those of you in jersey uh, and now here you get whatever a hustler club platinum membership gets you <laughs> now where do you go to get a different kind of shot after you spend too much time there i'm not sure <laughs> that, yeah but in all seriousness you now none of it bothers me I mean, the more people get vaccinated the better off these people are and these gimmicks seem kind of quintessentially american i mean look frankly we are who we are Yep. The,
1: uh, the Ohio one actually, but it has a gambling tie in of course, but it also just makes a lot of sense. That, I think more than a straight hundred bucks, a shot at a million bucks, yeah. a little lottery ticket is, uh, is a pretty smart way to get people to come give it a shot. Um, so there was a, a strip club near where I went to college that had a Sunday brunch special and called it uh-huh. legs and eggs. Uh, oh, and uh, and th- I had friends with more objectionable nicknames of their own, such as yeah, uh, grits and something that <laughs> rhymes with grits. Um, well, it occurs to me that vaccines, rhymes with the way the character Borat pronounces a part of the female anatomy. Not going to spell it out, just saying. Hustler Club, if you're looking for a catchy slogan, vaccines and fill in the blank uh, could work. Um, On a separate topic, uh, Larry Flint died uh, just three months ago i don't believe we talked about it on the show uh but he 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 loved poker and he ran a big time stud game for many years he also opened a hustler casino in california so he was at least a gambling industry adjacent figure um i would say this is a fine late addition to his legacy that his name and his strip club were used to get a few more people vaccinated Uh, that that's that's not a bad thing hopefully they get a
0: good crowd there tomorrow All right. Good luck uh, to all Larry's uh, pals and everybody who's a fan of his, I guess.
1: All right. Uh, Thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 143 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 142 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you're fully vaccinated, you get the Gamble On Platinum membership, which gets you access to the alternate version of the show where we give out all our actual winning picks. Uh, That joke will make even more sense uh, when you get to the bankroll segment this week. Yeah, sad but true. Um,
0: Coming up a little later in the show, though, we're going to be joined by the man who leads the projections team at Roto Grinders, Stephen Keach, better known to some as, better known to many, really, as SBK. The official start of the NBA playoffs is right around the corner, so Stephen will share his insights on favorites and underdogs, some even money first round matchups, and the importance of three point shooting in the postseason. Uh, But first, it's been a personally busy week in the world of gambling, so let's get to
2: it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. There's been a lot of news
1: out of Florida this week, as you might expect when there's a special legislative session in the state convening daily to consider the new gaming compact. Here's a rundown of the big stories so far. On Monday, changes were made to the compact removing online casino from the equation. On Tuesday, the Senate voted in favor of the compact 38 to 1. And on Wednesday, the House ratified it 97 to 17. So technically, Florida has legalized sports betting. Uh, But as Representative Sam Garrison said, quote, it doesn't take a master's degree to know there will be litigation. The Seminole tribe has essentially a monopoly on sports betting under this setup, Although it's possible that paramutuals will be able to offer sports betting as well and possibly subcontract that to some of the major mobile brands we're all familiar with. In any case, as last week's guest Dan Wallach spelled out, there will be legal challenges to this, even if the Secretary of the Interior doesn't oppose it, which is no sure thing. She might. Uh, The earliest date sports betting could begin in Florida is October 15th. Meanwhile, in a side story... There were also bills concerning DFS regulation that passed through committees early in the week, but the DFS community voiced strong opposition to them, and the bills were removed from consideration on Tuesday. So bullet dodged there. But with regard to the bigger topic, sports betting, was anything accomplished this week, John, or is the Florida legislature just wasting their time and everybody else's?
0: Well, I, first I got to note that there's practically a book to be written, no doubt, about how somebody tried to slip one past the goalie, uh, I mean the legislature. I mean, <laughs> now as far as I've seen, absolutely no one was talking about daily fantasy sports. Then all of a sudden some bill pops up where you need to choose players from like five different teams or something. I mean – yeah. A, what the hell, and B, <laughs> does some lawmaker have no idea how much money DraftKings and FanDuel spent on lobbyists for just this reason? Uh, that was really nutty. So, But anyway, I was quite serious on Twitter a few days ago when I posted that I would welcome a dissent to Dan's analysis of the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act's apparent requirement reaffirmed in a U.S. Supreme Court case in 2014 in a majority opinion by Justice Kagan, who's hardly an ironclad constitutional literist, that any tribal gaming take place on tribal land period. That's the rule. Uh, no luck so far in any dissent. Uh, if it's out there, I'm a I'm, uh, contrarian by heart, I guess. I'd like to see uh, some other way of looking at it, but nobody stepped forward.
1: Yeah. So I, I still love the, this quote from consultant Brendan Bussman of Global Market Advisors, which popped, it was from a couple of weeks ago, but it popped up again in a, a sports handle story this week. He said, if anyone wanted to take the New York bill and make it worse, Florida did that. Florida did the New York deal and put it in the blender and said, how can we scramble this even more? Uh, That is good. Yeah. Um, So yeah, Dan Dan was talking about this last week with us, uh, that there's this troubling trend of, yes, the big states are passing sports betting legislation, but they're reaching new heights of not caring at all about what's good for consumers. Um, Early in the pandemic, you and I talked about hey, maybe this shutdown is good for mobile sports betting legalization. States that don't have it will see states that do making tax dollars. This might spur them into action. Well, it has done that, but maybe it's backfiring on the sports betting industry a bit in that these states are looking for a cash grab rather than a sustainable approach to regulated sports betting. I think that's definitely the case in New York. Cuomo was like, okay, let's do this. How does New York make the most money? And and that's pretty much all that mattered to him. Um, Florida, it's similar, except as Wallach has pointed out over and over, there's a good chance everything but retail betting on Seminole land will be nixed. Um, and speaking of Wallach, it, it's funny, He mentioned on the show last week, before this DFS aspect was, uh, as you said, attempted to be slipped past the goalie in Florida, um, he talked about how the DFS industry rallies together against damaging legislation, citing 2015 in New York as an example, and he said the sports betting community needs to be in sync like that. Just days later, the DFS community again showed its unity and strength and effectiveness. I wonder if the sports betting community can start getting on the same page like that.
0: Well, I I think the really scary part about this, and I know this from my Uh, days before I escaped the newspaper industry is that uh, lobbyists write most of the bills in many Mm -hmm. States and certainly in New Jersey, my experience. And so there were times where I would find something in a, in a new law. I don't don't mean a bill. I mean, a new law that exempts some company from, you know, liability or this or that. And I'll ask even the sponsors, well, you know, in Trenton, what the heck's going on here? How did this get in there? I don't know. I, I never saw that before. I don't know where that got in. And so here you have a relatively in the grand scheme of things, trivial uh, industry and even gambling is relatively trivial, trivial, right. Compared to uh, you know environmental and, and, you know, social welfare concerns and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. And, you know, between Dan on the legal side and other uh, uh, sports law, gaming law attorneys and us in our industry, we're really focused on the details of these things. So when somebody tries to slip one past the goalie, as we've been saying, um, it doesn't, it doesn't work, you know, but On these more important issues, given the, you know, scarcity of uh, traditional uh, reporters now, these things are going to get passed more and more often and uh, no one's even going to notice.
1: And, uh, of course, uh, as uh, someone who's followed the gambling industry for a, a long time, there is no greater example of succeeding in slipping one past the goalie than how UIGEA passed uh, back in uh, 2006. <laughs> that yeah. whole that whole thing was one giant sneak it into the last second, and uh, and it got signed off on, and uh, the gambling industry uh, hasn't quite been the same since.
0: Yeah, so we're uh, watchdogs of this, but, I don't know, somebody probably wishes we were watchdogs of some other topics, too. <laughs> <laughs> right
1: all right moving on to our second story april handle and revenue numbers are rolling in we got them out of four major states since our last recording new jersey pennsylvania michigan and indiana as expected across the board sports betting action is down from march in new jersey handle was 748 million dollars down from almost 860 million million the month before with a typical 91 percent of that handle coming via online and mobile in Pennsylvania, handle was just shy of 480 million, down 14.4% from March, and online made up 91.6% of that. I sense some patterns developing here. Uh, in Michigan, handle fell from $359 million in March to $250 million in April. And in Indiana, handle went down from $317 million in March to $236 million in April. The national handle total for March was a record $4.61 billion. Based on these returns so far, it seems possible that the number will fall back below the $4 billion mark in April. Meanwhile, three of the four states we just mentioned also have legal online casino gaming, and those numbers were only slightly down from March to April. New Jersey had its second biggest online casino revenue month ever, $107.7 million, down about $6 million from the month before. Pennsylvania also had its second biggest month ever at $92.7 million, a drop of about 5 million. And in Michigan, where everything is still very new and far from maturity, online casino revenue went up in April from about 31 million to about 37 million. John, do you connect the plateauing of online casino with the wider return of brick and mortar casinos and, and the general return to leaving the house and socializing more? And are the April sports betting numbers right in line with your expectations?
0: Uh, I mean, I think the dipping on like gaming, that figures to be seasonal and this time cultural regarding the the decline of the pandemic. So that's kind of a one time thing. But the amount of the dip is more interesting to me. It's tiny. Uh, it's only 10 years ago. Atlantic City casino executives talk about the terrible amount of cannibalization that would occur if online casino was approved in New Jersey. And you know, they changed their tune a couple of years later, and rightly so. And New Jersey went ahead with online casino very successfully. Now, if the boom in New Jersey and Pennsylvania really largely had to do with brick and mortar casino gamblers settling for this weak sauce alternative, and they would all flock back to the casinos as soon as they could, then these numbers should decline dramatically this summer. But they won't, I'll say, because uh, the online casino market doesn't overlap the traditional casino nearly as much as once was feared. We know that. And these numbers are starting to prove it. Uh, as for April, yeah, that's about right. I mean, football balloons the numbers in the last four months of the year. NFL playoffs and college bowl games prop up January too. Super Bowl, goose's a brief February a bit. And then comes March Madness. And now we're into this relative six month lull. And I think if three and a half billion wagered in each of those months is a lull, the industry can live with that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I want to thank you for talking about a dip without using the phrase "buy the dip." I am so sick of hearing the, the words "buy the dip." I'm glad I'm, gl- I'm glad you didn't uh, find a way to work that in. Although, if I you just... buy the
0: dip, what do you sell? Sell the buy the dip, sell, sell the I don't know,
1: sell the peak, I guess. I don't know. Is that the opposite of a dip? I don't, <laughs> oh. I don't know. I try to avoid uh, any, any such topics. I know nothing about crypto stocks, etc. Um, a side news item here: just I'll mention that Barstool Sportsbook launched in Indiana this week. So we'll see if that causes any sort of a ripple in the may or june numbers in that state but yeah these sports betting numbers are very ho-hum right in line with expectations and they're likely to stay around the same level in may and june maybe go down a little more in a july and august so i'm putting it out there now that unless some state reports something unexpectedly high or low it's possible that we won't be making the monthly revenue reports a news item on the podcast every month between now and september Um almost questioning whether we needed to do it for April because there's, there's just not a lot to say about any of these sports betting numbers. Online casino is a little more interesting. Um, have we seen the peak for a little while in New Jersey and Pennsylvania now that the social distancing era is effectively over? Uh, I kind of think that those numbers will stay level or, or, or drop slightly throughout the next four months. And then maybe we start to break records again in September when people are betting football. And if they happen to win, putting that money into online casino. Um, and then the weather gets colder. As you said, these things are uh, to some extent seasonal, uh, November, December, January. I think that's when we'll see New Jersey and Pennsylvania really hit some, some new heights of online casino, I would think. Uh, but through, through the rest of the spring and summer, I would think only Michigan will really see its online casino revenue keep
0: rising. Right, and, and watch New Jersey and Pennsylvania. The brick and mortar revenues will boom in the summer, maybe even compared to two years ago. Uh, and the online will drop much smaller. So the total number is going to be a lot bigger. And again, I think if this doesn't prove the, you know, the myth of cannibalization uh, right. to a great extent, I don't know what will. But I, I think we're sure to see that. Yeah.
1: All right. Our third story this week somewhat connects with what we were just talking about in terms of a return toward normalcy, not too normalcy yet, but toward it, uh, meaning more live casino play, perhaps a tiny bit less online casino play. We'll ignore the online part here and focus on the live aspect. Uh, last Thursday, shortly after we finished our last podcast, the CDC issued new guidance about what vaccinated people can and can't do. I'm sure all of our listeners are well aware of this. Uh, long story short, If you're fully vaccinated, it's safe to go most places without wearing a mask. That includes casinos, for the most part. Uh, Our colleague Gary Rotstein wrote a piece for Bets this week about how the Pennsylvania casinos are handling this development, and he found that it varies from casino to casino. It's an exact even split in Pennsylvania, uh, as of this recording. Seven casinos still require masks, seven don't. Of course, Only vaccinated people are supposed to be safe without masks, but as there is no vaccine passport system in place, anyone who doesn't want to wear a mask in a casino will be ditching their mask, vaccinated or not. We also had a story on U.S. Bets on Monday by Buck Wargo looking at the bounce back going on in Las Vegas. Most of the casinos there are back to 100% capacity, and on Friday, the state of Nevada dropped the mask-wearing mandate. Again, only for vaccinated people, but I'm not sure how you'll go about stopping the unvaccinated. Anyway, Buck wrote about how hotel bookings are way up, Caesars properties on the Strip are sold out, and the town is bracing for quite possibly its biggest summer ever. John, do you expect that the combination of more disposable income in a lot of households and a pent up desire to party means that indeed Vegas is going to be absolutely bananas the entire rest of the year? Uh, And personal question, if you walked into a casino right now that doesn't have a mask requirement, are you ditching the mask?
0: Uh, you know Eric, once I was fully vaccinated, I found it a bit silly to be required to wear a mask anywhere uh, you know mm-hmm. i 'll offer you my vaccine card if you like i don 't want any trouble and let me be but you know, of course, that combination winds up putting me at odds with most Americans supposedly so either i 'm supposed to be anti vaccine or I get the vaccine but i 'm still paranoid and panicky <laughs> after I get it I, I feel like i 'm on an island here, but uh, i don 't want to wear a mask anywhere that i d- don 't need to do do so, and i don 't need to wear it anywhere frankly right. you know again i 'll play the silly game a little bit but I'm not going to another Mets game as long as I have to wear a mask, even while I'm sitting in a proven, fully vaccinated section outdoors, because it makes absolutely no sense. I mean, I'm not going to be uh, a party to a charade. Uh, As for Vegas, absolutely. It'll be a total bacchanal this summer. Forget it. (laughs) I I confirm with a couple of my millennial relatives that, you know, college kids – let's be honest, they didn't really quarantine so much as they pretended they did. Uh, And then for those in their 20s, 30s and 40s, they tend to be more cautious, apparently, but, you know, not paranoid either. They they had a mix. They didn't uh, uh, hibernate for 14 months. And those over 70, I think still many are nervous, uh, especially a large number of them either know someone who was a victim of the pandemic, unfortunately, or they heard such a story from someone close to them. But those in their 50s and 60s and it's my wheelhouse, uh, (laughs) watch out, (laughs) old enough to have been hibernating for almost a year young enough they're not as concerned about getting something if they go out uh and in the u.s mecca of well gambling las vegas I don't see a need for casino employees to demand to see the papers of every guest. Uh, right. It's maybe a bit libertarian of me, but I just don't care if some gamblers want to show up at an indoor casino, unvaccinated and unmasked. The risk is theirs. And while it's little mentioned, casinos spend a collective fortune upgrading their ventilation systems in the past year or two. Those who think they're gambling with their health by going to a casino, do you think your local big box store spent much dough on their HVAC systems? I don't. And that's your gamble right there. It's going to those stores.
1: Yeah, you're right that the, the, the risk is almost entirely to themselves if they want to take it on. There is still a little bit of that sort of sense of, well, if they're going to pass stuff uh, among themselves, among the unvaccinated, it does keep us that much further from getting this pandemic entirely over with. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's a minor risk for those of us who are vaccinated, if, if any risk at all Um, I, I was in a social situation last weekend where it was fascinating to observe the way everyone handled masking and unmasking. Um, Not to kill the mood, but uh, Sunday was my father's unveiling, the ceremony where the, the headstone is revealed at the cemetery, some prayers are said, and then everyone headed back to my mother's house for lunch and socializing. It was about 30 people. And other than the three kids in attendance, my two kids and my niece, everyone was fully vaccinated. We were outdoors at first at the cemetery. I was figuring no masks. But everyone, uh, mostly friends of my parents, people in their 70s, showed up with masks on. So I put my mask on just because wanted to fit in and, and not cause problems. Then back at the house, even though half the people were sitting indoors, they removed their masks. It, it just took a little time, I guess, for everyone to be like, screw it. We're vaccinated. Let's breathe on each other a little bit. Um, but, you know, a situation like that is playing out everywhere right now. People are like, I know logically I'm ninety nine 99. 99% likely to be just fine with no mask, but I'm used to the mask, I'm sensitive to other people feeling comfortable. I think a lot of people are dipping into the water one toe at a time. So we're, we're probably looking at a few weeks like that at casinos. Some people mask, some unmasked, some show up wearing a mask and ditch it after 15 minutes. It's just going to be wildly inconsistent for a little while. But I would think sometime over the summer... You'll get your wish, John, of of going to a Mets game and sitting in a vaccinated section outdoors and not being told you need to have a mask on. Uh, Masks are going to disappear in most states, except maybe for kids in schools and people in nursing homes and hospitals and other high risk areas. But then there's Vegas, where a lot of people are going to ditch the mask and not worry about ditching the mask, just let loose. Uh, And that'll help fuel Vegas travel the rest of this year, even at the height of the pandemic. People were going there to pretend there was no pandemic. Now it's really a place where you can go and act like the pandemic is 100% over. And if you're vaccinated, it more or less is for you. But uh, yeah, I, I think over the remainder of 2021, Vegas casinos will go a long way to getting back the revenue that they missed out on in 2020.
0: Yeah, and uh, if you believe social media, which you shouldn't, but uh, <laughs> uh, my choice apparently is that I should either be yelling at people who are wearing a mask outdoors because it's silly, or <laughs> I have to yell at them for not wearing a mask because they're being so unsafe and being so <laughs> selfish. You know, I, I don't really feel like yelling at anybody, so I'm, I'm just going <laughs> to leave everybody alone if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, that's fine. Uh, let's we are we are a no
2: yelling at people kind of podcast. <laughs> It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the gamble on interview.
1: NBA play-ins are underway, and the playoffs are next, officially starting this Saturday. And joining us now to share his insights is the man who leads the projections team at Roto Grinders, a versatile sports gambling analyst who joined us in the fall to talk about the NFL, but he has some range. He's going to talk NBA with us now. He is Stephen SBK Keach. Stephen, welcome back to Gamble On. Thanks for having me, guys. Excited to be here. So I wrote an article last week about the Lakers. I got some great insights from your colleague, Andy Means, for the article. And when I was looking at the odds, it really threw a spotlight on what a strange season this is in the respect that, according to the bookmakers, the regular season just doesn't mean that much. Uh, The favorites to win the title are the Nets, who've barely played together, and the Lakers, who are only the seventh seed in the West and have also barely played together, while the teams that had the best records are all long shots. uh, Utah at plus 750, Philly at plus 900, and Phoenix all the way up at plus 3,000 at one sportsbook. Uh, Their odds shot up once it was confirmed they'd be playing the Lakers in the opening round. Do you feel like the prices are underrating regular season cohesiveness, home court advantage, et cetera? Or, or are the prices correct and, and talent will win out and you expect either the, the Nets or
2: Lakers to be standing at the end? So I don't actually think the prices are correct. And uh, I think if I had to guess right now, I would guess that neither the Lakers or the Nets are in the finals. At least mm. as kind of I'm projecting it out right now. I think the most favorable price on a team to win the title, given where I kind of see like the, the paths going is Philadelphia. Um, it's kind of maybe seems a little bit odd as a t- team out of the East, but I like how they're kind of positioned here. Like though, obviously we don't know who the eight seed is as of this recording, but you would figure they'd be pretty massive favorites in that game or that matchup. And then they'll face the winner of the Atlanta, New York matchup, which is a far easier draw than either uh, Brooklyn or Milwaukee is obviously. Um, so, you know, either the nets or the Bucks going to have to beat the other one of those teams. And then theoretically beat, beat Philly uh, in order to get to the finals where I think the, the path for Philly is is considerably easier. Um, I think actually my favorite bet on them in particular is probably them to win the East at plus 300, just kind of given um, where like what I would expect the series prices of their first two series to be. Um, But I think they're a little bit too long. Um, I have some, some tickets on them at plus 1400 that, that I was kind of comfortable with early in the season when they were still, I mean, they've been in first place for the majority of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I would need about 900 or better on them right now with where, with where we're at. Phoenix is another one. I think at, at plus 3000, obviously just a brutal draw with having to, to face the Lakers in the first round as a two seed um, doesn't really get much worse than that. But if they can get past that matchup, like I do kind of like how they're constructed. I mean, having Chris Paul and Devin Booker as in a backcourt, I think in a playoff series is going to be um, a very tough thing to try to combat. And then when you add in uh, I think Jay Crowder was I mean we didn't see like a ton from him at the points in the regular season. He was kind of dealing with, with injuries of points, but he's I think going to be very effective in the playoffs. Uh, Michael Bridges, I think is going to be very effective in the playoffs. It's a long wing, who defend and shoot threes. Those things tend to become far more important at this this point in the year. Um, so I like how they're built and I think they will give the Lakers trouble. The thing that I think worries me about the Lakers beyond the path that they have is I I do worry about them health wise. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. the fact that maybe they haven't had to push LeBron or Davis a ton, maybe will help, but I really have, um, a tough time imagining them staying healthy through, you know, four playoff series. So they worry me a little bit in that regard. Um, and the Nets, I think the cohesiveness is a real issue with them. They have obviously very little, less than ten games they played together with all three, so I think that's probably going to become an issue. Um, probably not early on, but I think as they get into those matchups with Milwaukee and, and Philadelphia, who I don't think they match out with well to begin with, I think we'll start to see kind of um, you know some effects of, of them not having played together for you know for most of the season.
1: Yeah, as a Philly fan, I've uh, been paying particularly careful attention to the draw, and and it works out well, not only for the reasons you state, but also the one other team you worry about a little bit in the East is Miami, and they're over on the Milwaukee-Brooklyn side as well. So it's really shaping up pretty well for the Sixers to have a realistic shot at reaching the finals, knock wood, if Joel Embiid stays healthy.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Biggest key for them. I I mean, like it is for anybody. uh, It's certainly going to be health. Um, And I mean, that is like uh, the health thing is a reason why I feel like um, I'm a little bit more apt to bet on teams to win the Eastern Conference or bet series by series rather than the NBA titles, rather than NBA title. Just given that, I mean, the playoffs, they last a long time. And there's obviously um, a lot that can happen and a lot lot injury related that it's kind of like out of your control when you're betting that far in advance. Um, so that's one reason why um, I tend to really go more more series by series rather than, than go heavier on the, the NBA title bets. Yeah, I, I wanted to talk about that anyway, about, uh,
0: you know, you love a team. Maybe it's Phoenix, which is such a long shot, as you said, and if they get by the first round, they have a chance. So somebody has $100 or $500 or whatever, and they love that team. Uh, a, you know, alluded to your point, would you just say – definitely stick it series by series no matter what or go by just for the conference or go by the uh, title and is it is it dependent on the team in other words uh you know maybe phoenix you'd take round by round but if you love milwaukee you might as well just put it all on them winning the title or brooklyn or something like that is it, does it depend on the team or is it
2: you you always
0: want to stick series by series
2: so i think it very much depends on the team and, and kind of the path that you project them to be on in order to, to kind of get to the finals um i think if you can kind of create somewhat of a roadmap as to what you would think their path will look like and and some sort of projection as to what those series prices will be. I think you'll, you'll have a good nice starting point for getting your answer there. Um, I think a team like the Sixers, uh, I think, like I said, I think you're probably better betting them plus 300 to win the East and then, you know, sprinkling something on them to win the title as well. Whereas a team like the Heat or sons, you know, both of whom are, are, I believe, like plus 240, plus 250 in the opening round. Um, so, you know, if you can get that kind of price on them just to, to win in round one, I think that's, you know, those are types of teams where I would be more apt to kind of go round by round and um, you know, kind of break things down that way, rather than taking, you know, big shots on them to either win the East or the West or, or to, to win the title. Um, I think probably a little bit better value just kind of going round by round in that.
1: Well, we have uh, two first round matchups that are basically pick'ems. Hawks versus Knicks. Uh, Best price I'm seeing on the Hawks is minus 115. The best price on the Knicks is plus 100. Uh, And Blazers versus Nuggets. Best price on the Blazers is minus 105. And best price on the Nuggets is plus 105. So they're all pretty close to even money. Is there one team out of those four that appears to you to have good value? Uh, my, my leaning is toward Denver, that that the betting public might be overrating the impact of the Jamal Murray injury, but I'm curious if you agree or, or see a different best
2: bet among those four. So I think actually if I had to lean toward one side of that, uh, my biggest lean would be to uh, the Blazers at minus 105 or better, actually. okay. Um, I think so. The one thing that, that really – I like about the Blazers. I feel like it's maybe not being taken into kind of is the addition of Norman Powell. I think he's not only going to kind of take a little bit of the kind of weight off the shoulders of, of and Lillard. I think he's going to help a lot defensively. And I think when you kind of take him and Robert Covington, in terms of like the wing defenders they have, and then a healthy Joseph Nurkic, which they really haven't had in the playoffs, um, you know, kind of in, in recent seasons, he's been kind of like that kind of missing piece. And they just kind of can't seem to stay, keep out there. But I think in this matchup, I do think they, they match up very well against Denver. I think the one thing that, that could, could be an issue is the way Denver plays you know, their defensive scheme. They, they tend to get the ball out of Lillard's hands early, um, you know, kind of when he crosses half-court. And they're kind of trying to do that. And they've had success. Obviously, Portland has um, kind of struggled with Denver the last couple of seasons. I think that's kind of a big reason why. But I think the addition of Norman Powell can help alleviate that as they kind of have Willard less – kind of using less pick and roll and more kind of isolation, which they have done a little bit with Powell. Um, not a huge increase, but enough that I think it makes a difference. And I do worry about the Denver injuries. I mean, like you said, no Murray, obviously. And not only that, they're still without Will and still without, potentially without P.J. Dozier for a period of time. Um, and those injuries on the wings, I think, are pretty impactful – so I worry about their depth a little bit. Michael Porter Jr. is phenomenal. I think he's going to be a lot of fun to watch in that series. He is just a really good offensive player, and I think what he adds to Denver makes up for a lot of what they lose with Murray. But I do still still worry about, about their depth, and I just don't really like um, how they match up with Portland. So I think if I can get minus minus one hundred five or better um, on that side, that's where I lean. I don't have wagers in, in either of these two series. I think the Knicks and the, and the Hawks is probably um, the toughest of the first round series to figure out, hmm. especially just given that the Knicks generally tend to play every game like the playoffs. I mean, you can kind of look through a lot of different metrics and see that the most obvious is probably minutes played, um, but they, you know, they tend to kind of play every game like it's Game Seven. Um, I'm not sure the Hawks are the team that can take advantage of, of where New York struggles. I, I don't think they the Knicks have like a super efficient offense. Like, I don't know if it's worked, but I don't know if Julius Randle post-ups are going to get you get you through in the playoffs. Um, I just don't know if Atlanta's the team that can kind of take, take advantage of them or not. But that is the series I think I'm most, I mean, as a Sixers fan as well, obviously curious what the second-round match is going to be. But I'm just kind of also very curious to see how that, that kind of matchup breaks down and, and if the Knicks are actually for real. Um, there's a lot in their defensive metrics that say they got a little bit fortunate this year. So I'm curious against a team like the Hawks who can kind of do some dynamic things offensively, how they, they fare in a playoff series.
0: Yeah, I'll say, speaking of the Knicks, I covered, I guess, 45 or 50 Knicks playoff games at Madison Square Garden the 1990s and, you know, another 50 of them on the road as well. And obviously the Knicks made the playoffs nine years in a row. Uh, They, you know, never won it, but they came close so many times. And uh, the atmosphere at the garden was incredible. Madison Square Garden, it was amazing. But um, honestly, if you look back, especially a younger person who watched an entire game in the mid-90s, they wouldn't believe the, uh, you know, the clawing and scratching on defense. And it wasn't pretty in a lot of ways, but it was exciting and dramatic. And I say that because when I'm going to complain about how many three-pointers are shot now, I'm not saying, oh, the 90s was perfect, and now this is no good, but uh, I do kind of cringe at the number three-pointers thrown up and the amount of, quote-unquote, defense being played. But that being said, we're a gambling show. Let's focus on – three-pointers because it's it's such a critical part of the game and i'm just curious about you looking at uh, a betting advantage um regular season three-point accuracy and then um regular season three-point defense and i'm curious if one of those is more important of a factor to you uh and what about this idea this is obviously uh, kind of an emotional amateur fan sensibility, but a lot is out there. Oh, any team could beat the other one on any given day because uh, all they got to do is get hot with three pointers and they'll win. So uh, you can probably knock that one down fairly easily, but then also just about how much do you factor in three points uh, shooting offensively, defensively and figuring out which team you like on, on a series.
2: So I'll answer the second question first. I think, the more important thing to me and the more predictable thing is the defensive metrics on, on the three-point mm-hmm. side. Like, I think that, um, you know, over the course of a series, it's something that's more predictable and, you know, more easy, more simple for our team to kind of repeat over the course of time. Um, we obviously, you know, see some some big swings in, in your own three-point shooting efficiency, and I think, I think that's kind of the tougher thing to nail down. Um, but I think the teams that, that are – kind of consistently defending the three-point shot well. It's just a more repeatable thing and and just kind of more more bankable. Um,
0: But yeah, I mean, obviously
2: the the role of three-point shot is is unbelievably massive. I don't blame you for for getting a little bit sick at at how much of a role it plays now. Um, And it does create, I think, some more variance, but I don't think it's also a coincidence that the teams that uh, defend the three and that shoot the three the best also happen to be the best teams in the NBA. I mean, if you look at just a list of I think the top 12 teams in three-point shooting percentage are all playoff teams wow. and i think 11 of the top 13 in terms of defending it um but just that if you just kind of look at that list it's it's like oh yeah this this might as well be the standings um so i i do think there's obviously very much something to that where the teams that that are handling the three-point game whether it's defending it or shooting it themselves are obviously having success um so, you know, it's those teams that have adapted to the style and that have kind of built their personnel around that game that, that do seem to be um, the best teams in the league right now. So, yeah, definitely there's something to that.
1: All right, great stuff. Well, uh, it's always good talking uh, to you, Stephen, whether it's NFL or NBA. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Good luck with any uh, wagers you may have uh, heading into these playoffs. And, uh, of course, most
2: importantly, go Sixers. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt about it. Thanks for having me, guys. Two men. Two men. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the gamble on bankroll.
1: I don't know if we're betting bad or running bad, John, probably a bit of both. Uh, But our bankroll took some more hits this week, both from futures bets that came in and from new short term wagers. Let's start with the short term stuff. You had the Diamondbacks to beat the Marlins on Thursday. Final score was 5-1 to one in favor of the wrong team. Uh, but at least you're keeping your MLB bet small. We only lost $50 there. Uh, my small boxing bet also lost. I put $40 on Luis Neri to win by KO between round 7 and 12. The fight de- did end in a KO in round 7, but it was Neri who got KO'd. Uh, I was way wrong on that one. I also took a small stab at the Celtics to miss the playoffs as a plus five fifty long shot. It only cost us $30, but still Jason Tatum and his 50 points on Tuesday night foiled that one. Uh, And then over to your golf bets, you missed on Scotty Scheffler to win a loss of $10 there. Zalatoris was not right for you, uh, at least not to finish in the top 10. We took a $40 hit on that one. Uh, But finally, a win for us. Matt Kuchar, top 20 at plus 188 odds worked out. He finished tied for 17th to 20th full payout, a win of $94. So add up all of those bets. And it's a modest loss for the week of $76. But then there are the NBA futures, just a brutal defeat in a big spot on the Mavericks. We needed over 42 and a half wins. In real life, as I think I mentioned recently, I found a better number just before the season of 41.5. Uh, but no cheating with the bankroll. The bet was 42.5 when we placed it. And they finished 42 and 30 after losing to the lowly Timberwolves on Sunday in a game the Mavs weren't really trying to win brutal loss of $165. dollars There, so close to $150 win. Uh, thankfully we got a hundred dollars of it back with your fine bet on the Lakers under 46 and a half wins. All the injuries made that an easy victory for us, but you lost that hundred dollars on your Ben Simmons three pointer bet. He yes. needed over three and a half. He was at three on March 17th and the whole rest of the season, some of which he missed with illness and injury. He only shot two, three pointers and missed them both. Of course, we still have our awards bets, which will give us a profit of $100 if nothing crazy happens in the voting. And we have the Wizards at minus 105 to make the playoffs. They're currently about minus 145 favorites to do that entering Thursday night's game against the Pacers. Before I add it all up, John, anything to say about the bad beats, the narrow win with Kucher, or anything else?
0: Uh, yes, you know, I, I call Matt Kuchar the backdoor man because casual golf fans who mainly just watch the majors wonder how has this guy been on so many Ry- Ryder Cup teams as a top 12 American when he rarely seems to pop up in the big events. Well, it's because he's tearing up the back nine on Sundays to sneak into a solid if untelevised finish so often. Uh, now, this time he was tied for third entering the final round of the Byron Nelson and he damn near backdoored uh, his way out of our <laughs> bet. Uh, staggering, like you said, to that four-way tie for 17th and just barely a full payout. Zaltor marks the second straight week that my top 10 pick placed merely in the top 20. So I'm making mental note of that.
1: Uh, Okay, so as I said, we lost seventy six dollars in new bets. Uh, We also lost another one sixty five in futures bets. So that's a total of a two hundred forty one dollar decline for the week. And that puts us in the red by one thousand three hundred seventy five dollars. We did clear out some of our futures bets. So we're down to one thousand eight hundred sixty eight dollars on hold there. And that means we have $6,757 available to bet with this week. And I'm up first. Um, This Nuggets Trailblazers series that we touched on with Steven, I'm really having trouble picking a winner here. They played a great seven-game series in 2019. They're about as evenly matched now as they were then. Uh, Jokic is guaranteed to have at least two lights-out games this series. Same with Damian Lillard on the other side. There will surely be a game or two he wins all on his own. I think the move here is to avoid picking a winner and instead bet it to go seven games. Uh, One sportsbook has it at plus 180 to go over six and a half games, but then I found another one at plus 200. I like that. Uh, You figure if we get to a game six, then it's 50-50. What are the chances we don't at least get to a game six here? Uh, Maybe there's some serious math that'll tell me plus 200 isn't quite a value play on this one, but I think it's close enough. Uh, Let's bet $50 to win 100 that this series goes seven.
0: All right, yes, yeah, so I'll be a little more conservative this time with my picks. Uh off the ant- afternoon dance card for round one of the PGA Championship in South Carolina. This is golf's second major of the year, by the way. Uh Patrick Reed, 10 bucks at plus 3500 to win the damn thing. If he's close, I think he'll win, and he might be close. He loves difficult conditions in the spotlight and uh Patrick's game is rounding into form nicely. Yet I'm also hedging him for 50 for a mere top 20 at plus 138. Uh, finally, I get a South American phenom in Joaquin Neiman for 40 units at minus 110, just to place in the top 40. Not sure if he'd hold up for a top five or a top 10, but he's got this one.
1: All right. Uh, for my second bet, we're going to boxing a uh, big junior welterweight championship fight on ESPN this Saturday. The two best in the division are meeting Scotland's Josh Taylor against California's Jose Ramirez, both undefeated, but I think Taylor is a cut above to me. He's about 80% likely to win this fight, and I'm finding him as low as a minus 225 favorite. Not going to get fancy picking him to win by decision or knockout, uh, although I definitely think decision is more likely. Just going to go with the outright win at minus 225. That means we have to risk a little more than usual to win anything decent, but I do think it's a value play at this number. So let's bet $180 to win $80
0: on a Josh Taylor victory. All right, I'm sort of doubling down on my Stanley Cup pick, the Maple Leafs, in game one of their delayed series against Montreal on Thursday night, uh, giving one and a half goals for 50 at plus 133. Uh, Leafs have much more firepower than the Canadians, and the absence of fans in a stand doesn't hurt for a doomed franchise that hasn't faced this team in the playoffs since 1979. And I'm kind of looking at that uh, Maple Leafs up by a goal, and there's the empty net for Montreal, and oh, there's the backdoor win. I like that. <laughs>
1: All right. My uh, my team, the Flyers, is not in the playoffs, so I have no conflicted rooting interest at all. Go Maple Leafs. Yeah. And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks, everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Stephen Keach. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow U.S. Bets at U.S. underscore Bets. Go to U.S. for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And with that, John, please take us out.
0: Well, you know, in the process of, of confirming the words for the IGRA acronym for an earlier segment on tribal gaming in Florida, the first acronym I came across uh, on my Google search was Interferon Gamma Release Assays. I, I don't know what that means, but um, <laughs> the first organization I came across in my search, I also came across in San Antonio in 1993. The New Jersey Nets were in the midst of their then-annual Texas three-step games in Houston, Dallas, and San Antonio, and other over the course of four nights. Now, you know, an NBA team's arrival in a hotel lobby always tends to produce a little buzz of excitement. But this buzz was closer to baritone than soprano, shall we say. That's because an annual meeting of TGRA, that's the Texas Gay Rodeo Association, and no, I'm not making this up, was taking place there for the weekend. Now, you're going to wonder why did TGRA come up in a search for IGRA? That I don't know, but let's (laughs) not get caught up in the details. So let me continue the story. Now, at the time I was in, you know, the best shape of my life as baseball players love to say every February. I get into an elevator, and already in there was a large, young, rather exuberant fellow, and I went to push the button from my floor, but only after I hesitated for a moment, and a few floors later, the man departed, and I felt like a paranoid fool, you know, what was I thinking? I, I guess it was kind of a, a vulnerable feeling that I'd never felt before or really since, so I soon saw a young woman who was a traveling TV producer for the Nets broadcast, and I told her about my embarrassing episode, and She just looked at me and said, well, well, so you got one brief moment to learn a little tiny bit what it's like to be a woman on the road. And I was kind of floored, meaning pushing the button for your floor when somebody already is in the elevator, it probably won't just a little bit possibly could maybe lead to an awkward conversation that you really don't wanna have and probably not, but not definitely. So fast forward about 25 years to a couple of years ago and this very topic about elevators, men and women alone came up trending on Twitter and men, almost to a man, were stunned. They had no idea. And I felt like for once, maybe I was a little ahead of the game on one little aspect of the men-not-understanding-women dynamic. You know, I didn't walk a mile in anyone's shoes that day, but I truly appreciate the opportunity that arose to walk a few steps at least, and I was better off for it. I learned a lot that day. So, And with that tangent, until next time, everybody, gamble on.